You cannot walk in success as a Christian with a selfish paradigm. You cannot walk in success as a believer in Jesus Christ if your mindset is primarily self-centered and self-interested. We started with the love chapter because the basement, the foundation, the substratum of the Christian faith is love. If you had to, if you could only take one scripture out of the Bible to summarize the whole thing. If you could only, if all you were given was one verse to explain to the world what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, it should probably be John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's the essence of the whole thing. It's the essence of the Old Testament. It's the essence of the New Testament. A God who loved humanity and so loved them that he sacrificed everything. In Galatians 5 and 6 in the message translation, I, I, in the New King James, it says faith works by love. But I, I think this broadens it. When he says, for in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion or disregard of religion amounts to anything. Religion doesn't matter. What matters is something far more interior. Faith expressed in love. So love is a crucial issue. Your Christian life started because of love. God loved you. But then your Christian life functions and flows by love. Faith works by love. Now, the real definition of love has been maligned and misconstrued by our society. So biblically speaking, when God talks about love, what does he mean? What's the definition? It's selflessness. Say it with me. Selflessness. Selflessness. Look for the selflessness in these verses. First Corinthians 13, 4, love suffers long and is kind. That's selflessness. Selflessness can suffer and still be kind because it's not all about the one that's suffering. The mindset has gone outside of self and is focused on other things. Love does not parade it self selflessness. It's not puffed up selflessness does not behave rudely selflessness does not seek its own is not provoked thinks no evil. It believes all things it hopes all things it never fails. There's a thread that runs through all of those descriptions and it is selflessness. As a Christian, is your thought life and your paradigms, your mindsets, are they, primary, are they primarily selfish or selfless? This is a great diagnostics tech, test that you can do on yourself to see if the word of God is really penetrating your heart, to see if the word of God is really having an effect on you. You know that God's word is impacting you when you start to develop selfless thinking. I must say that again. You know that the word of God that you're hearing preached and that you're reading and that you're studying is truly impacting you when you start to develop selfless thinking. And if you haven't started to develop selfless thinking, there's still a blockage. 
Selfless thinking can only be produced in your life when you start to become more God conscious than you are self conscious. And this is important because you cannot, if you want to perk your ears up on this one, you might need this. You cannot live out God's purpose for your life if you're being selfish. In fact, you can't even internally process God's purpose for your life with a mindset of what's in it for me. Because people who try to walk in God's purpose for their life with a selfish mindset are always frustrated to the point of misery. I must say that again, miserable folks, depressed folks, listen up. If you're trying to process God's purpose for your life with a selfish paradigm, you will always be frustrated by God's purpose. Because to really follow and serve the Lord, you will come to an intersection where God's will and your will do not agree. Where God's plan for you and your plan for you do not agree. Where what God wants you to do and what you want you to do do not agree. And so if you decide, well, I'm going to go the Lord's way, but the mindset is never turned around from selflessness or from selfishness to selflessness, then you will proceed into your purpose and be bitter every step of the way. It's possible to be right smack dab in the middle of the plan of God for your life and be miserable about it. Ask Jonah. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach. Jonah was destined. He was gifted. That was God's purpose for Jonah being on God's earth, breathing God's air. And Jonah fought it every step of the way. Then when he gets to Nineveh, he's so anointed, he's so gifted because God made him to do it. He preached for a couple of days. The whole city, 100,000 people got saved because Jonah was so effective and he was preaching miserable. He was praying miserable. He was angry the whole time. They were bowing down and repenting and worshiping the Lord and Jonah was miserable about it because he was trying to live out his purpose with a selfish mindset. You ought to think about these things before you give your life to Christ. You giving your life to Christ, the Christian life, it's not going to be all about you. Who has bewitched us and given us this false line of thinking? Come to Jesus and all of a sudden it's just raining diamonds and Cadillacs and everything opens up for me and I don't have any problems and my marriage is just smooth and easy and nobody treats me badly and I don't have any sickness or disease. I don't have any problems. If you, if you take that mindset into it, you are going to be sorely disappointed. The scripture says they that live godly shall suffer persecution. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be some down days. There's going to be some hard days. And if your paradigm is selfish, then you can be going on the right road, doing the right thing and hate your life and be miserable about it all the way. So I find this to be true as, as I observe, I get to observe a few Christian people and I find that many times we try to manipulate the world around us to make it serve us, not realizing that God made us a gift to serve it. 
I see husbands and wives trying to manipulate each other to serve themselves, not realizing if you're a husband, you are a gift God gave to serve your wife. If you're a wife, you're a gift God gave to serve your husband. It's about being in the spot that you're in and recognizing the selfless opportunities that you can take. I'm going to say that again. Being in the opportunities you're in and recognizing the selfless opportunities you can take. And I, I don't think we've heard this enough. I really don't think Christian people who spend 99% of their time every week outside of church, you know, and that's not a negative thing. We only have service. If, if you come Wednesday and Sunday, it's only maybe five hours a week. You got all those other hours. But I think it's hard for Christian people who have that kind of ratio of time spent in the presence of God versus time spent in the world, I think it's hard for them to understand when they come in here. The kingdom of God is upside down to the world. It is not the same kingdom. It operates totally opposite of the world system. In the kingdom of God, if you want to go up, you got to go down. In the kingdom of God... If you want to receive, you got to give. In the kingdom of God, if you're sad, it tells you to rejoice. If you're barren, it tells you to sing like a pregnant woman. In the kingdom of God, if you're broke, it tells you to sow a seed. It's an upside down kingdom and it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive to the world we live in and the world we're entertained by and the world we're educated by. It's counterintuitive. It is a kingdom that is based on a faith that works by love or selflessness. So if you're not operating in love, you're not operating in God's kingdom. Maybe that's why your prayer hadn't been answered. Maybe that's why your efforts aren't working. Maybe you've had the audacity to put it on God and maybe God sent you here this morning to put it right back on you. Maybe the problem is you're not operating in what God considers love to be. Maybe you're not fulfilled because you're trying to take in and yet you're still empty. And God's saying, if you will empty yourself, then I will be the one who fills you. Look at Philippians 2, 4 and 5. Philippians 2, 4 and 5. Notice the first word screaming at me. Y'all all right? Notice the first word on the screen and scream it at me. Shout it. Let. Okay. Let each of you, Lord Jesus, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Next verse. First word. Scream it at me. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not saying to have Jesus' mind. He's saying to have Jesus' paradigm. He's saying to have the mind set. 
you can't adopt my mind, but you can adopt a mindset. It's a setting. You can key it into your mind. But notice both of those verses. He says, let. In other words, this doesn't happen naturally. This ain't going to happen when you wake up in the morning. You're going to have to key in the setting and you're going to have to let selflessness come out of you. You're going to have to let care, not about just your stuff that you got going on, but care, genuine care about others. When was the last time you were genuinely occupied in your mind about the cares of others? Okay. Look at somebody say, you got to let it happen. But in order to let it happen, in order to let that happen, in order to let that happen, we got to remove some blockages. And there's some blockages, folks. I don't want to be mean, but there's some blockages. You mean to tell me you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and you're still hateful? You mean the power of the paraclete himself that took the corpse of the dead Jesus and raised him back to life? You mean that Holy Ghost that comes to dwell inside every believer that has believed and confessed on the name of Jesus Christ, repented of their sin, and has made an effort to walk in the ways of the Lord? You're telling me you're filled with that thing and you can't get along with people? And you're tearing down your house, you're tearing down your spouse, you're tearing down your kids, you're tearing down anybody that's in contact or relationship with you. They can't stand to see you come in on Monday morning at the job. Everybody just puts their sunglasses on and looks the other way because you got that thing on you and you're telling me that the Lord Jesus Christ spirit lives on the inside of you and you can't control your attitude. You rant on Facebook like a heathen. You go after all kind of crazy stuff. You plant yourself in wicked environments and you celebrate the wickedness that's going on around you. You're telling me the spirit of God that's going to be the agent that raptures us into heaven lives on the inside of you and you and your husband can't work it out. I ain't doubting your faith. I ain't doubting your faith. I'm saying there's probably some blockages. that the creator of joy lives in you and you can't ever find a moment of joy. All you can do is complain about how bad life is and talk about how depressed you are and lament every single day when God gave you breath in your body. He made you healthy and gave you brightness of your mind, gave you the gift to be able to communicate how miserable you are, but you wouldn't be able to communicate it unless God gave it to you. There's some blockages. There's some blockages. When I was a child, I feel it now. When I was a child, well, it took you long enough. When I was a child, 
I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Now, let me draw a little, for you thinking people, let me draw a little distinction because it almost sounds like he's being redundant when he says understand and thought. What's the difference between understanding and thinking? Both have to do with the mind, but understanding is how you process input. Outward stimulus, things that happen outside of you that have to go in you. Okay? Thinking is how you process output. Okay. This is stuff, there's no stimulus around you. It's just the thoughts you're coming up with every day. So I wanted to draw that little line of distinction. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood. As a child, I thought as a child. Now, notice he, notice where he places that. He places that as his clothes. You know, preachers really like to end with a, a solid close. He places that as his clothes in the love chapter. So to read that and really understand it in the flow of context, you've got to understand He's been talking about love, and then he brings up maturity. Raising the question to inquiring minds, can you really love properly if you're immature? Are you blocking love? I'm going to ask you again. Are you blocking love? Either love you should be receiving or love that you should be giving. Is there a broken system somewhere down on the inside of you that is blocking you from receiving what you would have if the blockage wasn't there? Is there a reason you struggle so much in your relationships? Is there a reason you find it so hard to find happy moments throughout your day or throughout your week? What's the blockage? Notice what he raised. He raised three things. He said, as a child, I spoke like a child. I understood like a child. I thought like a child. Spoke, understood, thought. S-U-T. Systems under test. If you think there's a blockage, put your systems under test. Your systems of speaking, understanding, and thinking. If your life is not producing the desired results, check the system. I'm going to say it again. If your life is not producing the desired results, check the system. Could there be a blockage in the way you speak, in the way you understand, in the way you think? Have you inspected the way you speak? Have you thought about the way you speak? Have you thought about the way you understand? Have you thought about what you think? Now, we know how to inspect and adjust the way we look on the outside. A lot of y'all spent a whole lot of time in the bathroom this morning, in the mirror, inspecting, 
and adjusting the way you looked on the outside. I bet you there's about 500 pounds of makeup in this room right now. I get so tickled at how long y'all spend on the eyes. You do all this thing to the eyes. They got stuff that'll make your eyes go way up. They got stuff that'll bring your eyes down. They got, they got eye paint for the inside of the eyelid and then the outside of the eyelid, all kind of colors for the eyes. If your eyes are starting to get wrinkles around them, you can go to the doctor and they can inject something in to fix the eyes, all kind of things they can do for the eyes. Spend all that time and money on your eyes and you still can't see. blind as a bat. I just don't know what the problem is because you can't see. You never developed vision. You only inspected the external and you never put the microscope on the internal. You never lifted up the mirror to carefully consider how you speak to people, how you understand your life and how you think. And so, yeah, you fine, but you crazy. You fine, but nobody wants to date you. You fine, but you can't stay married. You fine, but you can't keep a job because there's something wrong on the ends. And we need this kind of inspection because so many of us are loyal to our own dysfunction. We like our crazy. And we will fight you if you challenge our system. That's just the way I've always been. Don't talk to me like that. I just got to be me. You're trying to put me in a box and I have just got to be myself. That's fine as long as you being yourself is working. But what do you do when you being you ain't working anymore? What do you do when you being you is causing you to lose houses and lose vehicles and lose relationships and lose value and respect? broken speaking, understanding, and thinking. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood like a child. I thought like a child. But when I became a man. Now, Paul's revealing that it's possible to mature outwardly while remaining immature inwardly. Notice in the text, the childish things didn't put themselves away as he got older from a child to a man. He grew from a child to a man and still had childish things. He grew from a child to a man, but the man still got a child down on the inside of him. Is it possible that in some ways in your inner life, you're still a little child? 
Is it possible that sometimes in your speaking, the little child comes out? Is it possible sometimes in your understanding of things when life throws you a situation and you really need to understand it right? Is it possible when you're trying to understand the little child comes out? Is it possible when you're thinking those quiet times in your life where you need critical thought, where you need to make decisions, when you need to go to the next level, that in your thinking you're a little child? Psychologists say that one thing that makes childhood trauma so difficult to recover from is that most children associate trauma, any trauma they go through, most children associate trauma as being their fault. So mom and daddy get divorced, the child thinks it's my fault. If the child gets abused by an older family member, the child still thinks at some level it was their fault. Because as a child, you think the world revolves around you. Children are very selfish. Everything is about me. The sun came up this morning for me. The food they're making at McDonald's is for me. Everything is about me. So you take a person that has that kind of mindset and then you introduce trauma. Of course they think it's their fault. Of course they think the trauma was about them. Everything else is. Are you still blaming yourself for things that you could not control? Are you still carrying shame and beating yourself up over stuff that happened when you were a child that was completely out of your control? If you are, that's a childish understanding. And you may be carrying extra weights than you should be. And you may be victimizing yourself worse than the perpetrator did. Because whatever abuse that happened, if it happened, it's over. But if you don't have the right kind of understanding and processing, you can re-victimize yourself for 40 years over something that happened in 40 minutes because your understanding never matured to be able to process it the right way. I understood like a child. But when I became a man, I put away. Notice they didn't go away. But everybody thinks they do. Everybody thinks on your 30th birthday or on your 40th birthday or on your 50th birthday, somehow hitting a mark of age on the outside means that you've attained maturity or wisdom or true understanding or true ability to think and process. Some people think when they become parents that they have the appropriate mindset to be a parent. But in many cases, you got kids parenting kids. 
You got 40-year-old kids parenting 14-year-old kids. Because the inside was never developed because childish ways, childish things were never put away. Since you've been a Christian, how much have you put away? Since you've been married, how much have you put away? Because if you're going to stay married, you're going to have to have a fold up storage container. There's a whole lot of stuff you are going to have to learn to put away. If you don't put it away, they will put you away. Out of the house, out of somewhere else. Don't want to see you anymore. If you're going to move through life with effectiveness, you've got to put some stuff away. we got to put some stuff away. If we're going to be the church God has called us to be, we got to put some stuff away. If we're going to be the light in the community we're supposed to be, we've got to put some stuff away. If we're going to be mature people and mature believers, we have got to put some stuff away. So he said, when I became a man, I noticed there was some stuff I hadn't put away. That's what I want to bring you to this morning. Is there some stuff on the inside, some ways of speaking, some ways of understanding, some ways of thinking that you need to put away? He said, I've noticed it. I've outgrown my system. I've outgrown the way I speak. I used to use a lot of slang. What's up, dog? <laughs> I used to use the word nah a lot. N-A-H. Nah. But then you grow to a point that you either have to keep that stuff and let some opportunities go. Or you have to let some of that stuff go and take on the opportunities. Because believe it or not, there's some rooms I go into that what's up, dog, won't work. They'll close the door on you. They won't invite you to partner with their organization with a what's up, dog. There's some, there's some conversations. I know it's good. Thank you, brother. There's some conversations that nah don't work in. So I found out I had developed a system of speaking that I had outgrown. That system of speaking had to be put away. In some former days, I was a professional cusser. I could give it, man. It was a skill, you know. I have a creative mind and a robust vocabulary, and I could I could put combinations together that would blow your minds. But I outgrew that system. Okay, I had to put that system away because if you cuss a lot, you'll find. They slip out and it would just be terrible if I was up here preaching up a storm and calling y'all to Jesus and telling y'all about God. And I let a few real choice words 
slip out. In other words, where I was in my speaking wasn't in alignment with where I was going and destined to be. You understand what I'm saying? But so many people get stuck there in that crossroads. They get a sense of what God has for them. They get a sense of their purpose and a sense of their destiny, but they love the childish things so much. It's my banky. Always have my banky. It's my passy. I grew up with my passy. And don't want to be weaned off of a childish system of thinking. But I want to tell you, whatever it is that's blocking you, whether it's your speaking, your understanding, or your thinking, did you know you can put it away? You can put it away. You can put it away before you lose your opportunities. You can put it away before you lose your marriage. You can put it away before you lose the destiny that God has for you. You can put that system away. Nudge somebody next to you and say, put it away. <clears throat> Go to Ephesians 4.29. I can't exhaust each of the points today. We'll, we'll continue to break it down in the series. But look what he says about speaking. Do not let any unwholesome. You know what? Give me that in the New King James. I don't like that translation. For what I want to do with it. Same text, New King James. Let no corrupt, everybody say corrupt. corrupt. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, hold on a second. I know some of you that are new to the faith are kind of thinking, you know, there ain't no way I can do that. But he's not talking about like cussing and, and, and talking bad. He's not talking about that so much. You, you could throw that in there. In order to understand what he's really saying when he said, don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth, you have to put a juxtaposition analysis between the word corrupt and the word edification. Okay? If something is corrupted, it's eroding. It's deconstructing. It's falling apart. On the other hand, edification is a construction word that means to build up. So he's saying, do not be a person that is tearing down with your communication. Do not be a person that every time y'all have a discussion, you're the one tearing it down. Every time y'all have a discussion at the job, you're the one tearing the thing down. Every time you have a discussion with your spouse, you're the one tearing the thing down. He said, don't be the kind of people that talk down to stuff, that try to rip stuff apart. Rather, what is good for necessary edification. In other words, have the kind of communication and speaking style that builds up. Did you know you can correct things and still have a tone of being built up? You can address issues, but still be positive focused and build it up. You don't always have to tear everything down with your mouth. 
So when he says, let no corrupt communication, he's not saying don't talk bad. He's saying don't have the intention and don't have the primary speaking style of being a person that when you open your mouth, you know all you're going to hear is tearing down, tearing down, tearing down. And incidentally, those of you that are married or are you're living in the same house with your children and you make up a household, the scripture says, he that tears down his own house is not wise. You might as well say he that tears down his own spouse is not wise or she that tears down her own spouse. is not wise. It's not wise to speak certain things. But if you just, if you let that mouth fly, Lord Jesus, you can do more damage by refusing to control your speaking. You can talk your, you can talk yourself out of job opportunities. Ooh, that was good. Next, understanding. The word understanding means the truth you stand under. Say that with me. The truth you stand under. Say it again. The truth you stand under. Not necessarily the truth. The truth how you saw it. If you want to get a real good idea of this, if you've ever had something happen, uh, well, we're, we're like real good, so I'll go ahead and tell the story. Sometimes it's hard for me to tell a story to someone else when Katie's with me because Katie's got a very detailed mind, like a computer. I have a very creative mind, not as much boundaries, you know. And so I'll be telling a story about something that happened to us and Katie is interrupting every 15 seconds, fixing all the details that I'm missing. (laughs) Yeah, we went there and they, man, they, they, they must've had 15 different types of steak at that Brazilian steakhouse. There was only chicken and fish that day, you know, (laughs) just. But it's, it's, it's the truth you stand under. It's the truth as you perceive it. And so when you have an immature understanding, sometimes you perceived truth and grew up with it. That was never really truth at all. My dad tells me this about my grandpa all the time. He said that he grew up not feeling like uh, my grandpa loved him. Because when he was a little boy, he was processing the fact that my grandpa got up at 530 every morning to go to work and didn't come home till after seven. And he didn't get the time throwing the ball as much and he didn't get the, the, the personal time as much when he was little. And so while he was little, he developed an understanding that he didn't love him. And he said he had to grow up to realize that it was love, but there was a truth he was standing under that wasn't the real truth. How many truths are you standing under?
You divorced that man because you said he never really loved me. Did he? Were you under the right truth? You said that was a toxic relationship, was it? Are you sure you were under the right truth? That pastor's so mean. He talked to me so strict and so stern. There's just no love. Are you sure? Perhaps you were standing under the wrong truth. You know, a whipping looks a lot like abuse if you don't have the right understanding. So is it possible you have misinterpreted some of the traumas of your life and it's been in your narrative so long you remember it as if it's fact when maybe it was just you were standing under the wrong truth. Look at Proverbs 18, 17. Now I just said all that. Let's let the word back it up. Proverbs 18, 17. I wonder how many relationships you've severed because you were standing under the wrong truth. I wonder if there's some family stuff that's been going on for years that's breaking your heart and it's all a result of you and them both standing under wrong truth. The first one to plead his cause, put that in the NIV. I know I keep going back and forth on you, but I, there's something I want out of that. Put that back in the NIV. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross examines. My God. I'm going to read that again because it's good. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. Now, a lot of times when you're arguing with loved ones, spouse, children, uh, other family, whatever it is, a lot of times when you're arguing and there's emotion involved, instead of thinking objectively, you just get deeper and deeper entrenched in the defense of your own case that you're putting forth. And they are cross-examining. But I want to challenge you for a second. Do you have the courage to cross-examine your own case? I'm going to let you sit with that. Do you have the courage to cross-examine your own case? That's how you really know that you're growing in your ability to understand and you're growing in the depth of your understanding is you're not so quick to take a position. You're not so quick to get entrenched in something because the more you grow in your understanding, you realize how juvenile some of your old positions were that you fought for, that you walked out on people for, that you turned your back and closed the door on people for, only to live long enough. Have you ever had a situation go so bad and you were so angry with somebody, but then you got a little bit more understanding and it fixed the way you felt? Amen. It's the power of understanding. We got to put childlike understanding away.
We got to put it away. And then thinking. Raise the level of your thought life. I'm going to skip that last scripture, guys. I want to move on. Why do I need to put away childish things? Like, prophetically, significantly in this moment at Christian World, in this church, in this time, what's the significance for me doing it? Why do I need to hear this message with some urgency? It's because a child cannot be an heir until they grow up. I'm going to let you sit with this. A child can have an inheritance over their head, but legally not be able to claim it until they mature to a legal age. Levi's got something coming to him when his mama and I die. But if we die tomorrow, he ain't going to get it tomorrow. There'll be custodians. There'll be people placed over it until he reaches a certain age. And I'm trying to tell you, God has some inheritance for you. God has some stuff that's waiting over your head, waiting on your mind to mature, waiting on your system of speaking and understanding and thinking to mature. There's some stuff, there's some blessing right out there for you that God wants to give you, but it's been on hold because as old as you are on the outside, there's some childish things on the inside that are keeping you from receiving the inheritance inheritance that God intended for you to have. Go to Galatians chapter four. Somebody shout, put it away. No, I need you to shout it like you had your coffee. Shout, put it away. Go to Galatians chapter four. You can do this in the NIV. Galatians chapter four, verse one. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage by Jesus. He is no different from a slave. Folks, are you reading with me? Although he owns the whole estate. In other words, he can own it all, but not be able to use none of it as long as he's immature or underage. Then he says, the heir is the same. No, no, no. Next. I'm sorry. The heir is the same as a slave. In other words, you're working for people that should be working for you and would be working for you if you were mature. It means you're dealing with situations that are having dominion over you when you should be having dominion over them and you will be when you mature. In other words, when you put away childish things. Next verse. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees. Until the time set by the Father. The question is, what is the time set by the Father? The time is maturity. However much time it takes you to mature in your speaking, your understanding, and your thinking. 
the inheritance due date comes. I hope you're listening to me. The inheritance due date comes the day you mature in your speaking, your understanding, and your thinking. Amen. So now you told us all that. How? How do I put away childish things? You told me what to do. I hope you're going to tell me how to do it. How do I put away childish things? Number one, identify it. You can't put something away that you haven't identified. So you have to do what we talked about like we do on the outside. We get in the mirror and we look and we inspect and make sure we're all good to go. You got to do that on the inside. You got to inspect the inside and be honest with yourself if there's something that needs adjustment. You got to identify it. Number two, you've got to resist it. You have got to resist the urge to operate out of your old systems as you're maturing. Now, I got to tell you, that old system will always be on the back burner. You can put it away. It doesn't mean you can, you can totally get rid of it. I mean, you can put it away. It's still going to be in a closet there somewhere. And some of you know what it's like. Some of you, like somebody says something crazy to you at the grocery store and how you would have responded 10 years ago starts knocking on the closet door. Your lip starts quivering. You just feel that heat slowly rising up. And if God hadn't done such a work in your life over the last 10 years, you would have done some serious damage up in that place. And you think to yourself, it's so good that you didn't know me and say that to me 10 years ago. I would have lost my mind and acted a fool. up in But it's still, you know, it's still talking to you. You understand? It's still talking to you. But you resist it. It's resistance training. Those old temptations come up and you want to go act out in that way that's impure and not pleasing to God. And it's just immature. It's just something stupid. And that, that temptation is there. But you resist it. The scripture says resist the devil and he will flee. Problem is you ain't resisting. If it's true for the devil, it's true for the lesser. Resist immaturity and it will flee. But you have to resist it. And then number three, you can stand with me. Number three, realize it's an exchange. Now look, listen to me very carefully. I'm responsible to do what God told me to do. You're responsible for how you respond to it. That ain't my problem, how you respond to it. Okay, my hands are clean. My message is not over. It's going to be continuing for the next few weeks. You need every one of them. If one thing that was spoken today sparked a thought or sparked some insight or sparked some wisdom on the inside of you, it's a sign God's given me this for you in some way. And you need to make a commitment, make the sacrifice, make the dedication to be in service over the next few weeks. Because the things we're going to deal with, I really believe it's going to help you remove some of the blockages that are keeping you. I really believe this is going to be an incredible rest of your year. I really believe it. I really believe there's some amazing things lined up for you. I really believe God has a plan for your life. And I believe God loves you so much that he's refusing to leave you in a state of brokenness. 
and sending thoughts and concepts and ideas and sending his word to heal some of those things and remove some of those blockages so that you can go forward into all that he has for you. But I'm going to be here. If I'm alive and breathing, I'm going to be here. If I ain't here, start mourning for me because I'm dead. Okay, I'm going to be here and I'm going to lay this out and I believe God's going to anoint me to say it and anoint you to hear it and you're going to see great things as a result. But make sure you're here for this. Amen. Number three, realize it's an exchange. A lot of people don't like leaving their old system because it's all they've ever had. It's what they grew up with. It was their old system of speaking that they spoke to their mama with and their daddy with. It was their old system of speaking they had their first boyfriend with. The old system worked back then. It was their old system of understanding that they started to process life with, that they went through puberty with. It was their old system of understanding. They've grown up with it. They've always had it. And it's hard to get people to let something go that they've always had if they don't realize there's something else to hold on to. God's not asking you to stand with empty hands. He's asking you to trade an old system and adopt anew. He's asking you to trade an old system of thinking and exchange it for a new. He will not leave you with empty hands, but you have to trust the process enough to put away childish things. Every head bowed, every eye closed in the house. Play that a little louder, brother. I, I feel in my spirit that the Lord's been doing some deep work on somebody. I feel like he's been addressing some deep wounds in the heart and deep places in your mind. I feel like he sent a word to speak to some things, to counsel you on the inside, to maybe give you some insight on what's going on. And if you felt the word of God working on you in any area, just lift up your hands and worship him right now in this moment. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would seal that word in them, that you would strengthen them, that they would go forth and bring forth fruit, bring forth manifestation, bring forth quality out of what they heard today. I pray they would be blessed in their spirit, their soul, and their body. I pray that they would walk in functionality that dysfunction would be completely eradicated and that they would function in their purpose that you designed them for i speak peace over their lives i speak peace over their families i speak peace over marriages and relationships i speak peace over their children and safety as they return back to school i speak open doors i speak opportunities things that we have to change our mindset for because you've given it to us so big. And Lord, we thank you for all these things and we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand praise all over the house. Amen.